You're listening to Soul Radio. Welcome to Channel 33, a new podcast series presented by Soul. I'm your host, Yustra Al-Bakhir. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with creators who are shaping the cultural landscape and raising the bar in their respective fields. Delving into their personal journeys, we'll explore the essence of creative work and the ingredients necessary for immortal impact. Today, my guest is innovator and designer Melody Ehsani. We got on a call to discuss inspiration, authenticity, and faith. I've been following your work for years and, and what's been astounding to me is how you've just evolved and, and, and grown, you know, as, as the time has passed. And I want to know, just sort of take it all the way back to like your upbringing. And when you first started to feel drawn to design and to fashion, you know, as a, as a child. I think that I've had an orientation towards fashion and design from a really young age. I just really wasn't mirrored it, you know, it was never really valued or reflected back to me from my parents. So I just didn't know it. But sometimes I'll see pictures. I actually just posted this picture of myself on Instagram from when I was like eight or nine. And it really shocked me because I'm like, oh my God, I've been this person my whole life. I just, you know, it's like I knew it from a young age. And then I went through a good portion of my life, like maybe 20 years where I completely forgot it. And then I came back to it. Because you studied law. I did. The best advice anybody ever gave me in hindsight was my uncle. And he told me to do internships because he was like the practice of law and the study of it are completely different things. So he's like, you want to make sure you're going to actually like doing this. And I was like, I'm going to love it. I, you know, it was, I was really on fire because I felt like I'd found my passion and justice because I was like, I want to fight for women's rights and I want to, you know, be the voice for disenfranchised people that don't have a voice. And, and so I just thought that that was the only way that I would be able to do that. I didn't really see any other, any other option, but then I did do maybe two years worth of jobs and internships. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked at the White House. I did so many things. And at the end of it, I was left completely disenchanted by the system. Uh, And I just didn't find a place for myself in it. I was like, I don't know if I could wake up every day for the rest of my life and do this thing. And so I got into law school and the biggest part of the, the hardest part with my family was dropping out because it's really expensive, especially in America, to apply, just even to apply, go through the application process for law school. I had to take courses to prepare for the LSAT, which is the test you need. And I think it was like $4,000 just for those courses. Wow. And then for each school you apply to, you have to pay application fees. And there's a lot that goes into it. So that was the biggest guilt because, you know, I grew up in a family with a single mom and I worked full time throughout my entire college career to be able to help her pay for it. 
And so it was really, it was like this deep sense of guilt and shame that she had invested this money into me doing this thing. And now I wasn't going to do it. And not only that, but I didn't have a backup plan. And then, I mean, fashion as well. It's such a competitive industry and it's so high stakes. You know, how did you muster the courage? Because it takes courage. It takes courage to drop out. And then it takes courage to pursue the career that you actually want. And how did you muster that strength? Well, I, I think that it was the point in your life, you know, where you sort of hit rock bottom. You know, we, I think all of us have moments where we hit rock bottom in a number of different ways. And it was really that moment where I had really reached the bottom and I was like, OK, I have to go deeper than that. And it was when I really found myself and it was when I really started seeking um, who I was and what I was good at and what I wanted to do and what fulfilled me. And it was the first time in my life where I had ever asked myself those questions honestly. And I hadn't just had them reflected back to me from my culture or from my community or from my parents or from my family of like, this is what you should do. This is what's good. If you want to be this kind of person, then this is what you should do. And I really realized that my entire life I had sort of operated that way because I, you know, I wanted to be good. I wanted to yeah. just do what made them happy. And I had never asked myself what I was good at. So, for example, with fashion, the standard was sort of like I was like fashion so superficial. You know, I'm going from something like law, which has nobility in it and which would, you know, give you know, and then I'm going to do something so superficial. And, but through the process of really finding myself, I was like, that's the stupidest thing ever. Like there's so much nobility in fashion. You know, I'm, I'm going to be making things that people wear. It's like discounting not only who I am and what I'm good at, but something that actually serves the world in a really big way. You know, of course you can't compare it to other things, but you can't really compare anything, you know, is, is the person that's the trash collector any less than the person that's, you know, a doctor? No, like there's nobility in every position. And the most important thing is just inhabiting it. Yeah. And I feel like with, you know, you know, Persian culture, Arab culture, African culture, I feel like they see these things as indulgent, you know, mm -hmm. as in like you, you know, you're, it's superficial and it's indulgent and, you know, finding, taking pride in that is, is such a big, a big part of, you know, feeling it out and growing into it. Right. So the acceptability yeah. politics needs to be, you know, stripped away from what you really want to do and what you want to pursue. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also, if you think about it, it's also being able to see the value in yourself because we all come here with gifts you know, every single one of us have special gifts, like things that we're just naturally good at, things that we're naturally drawn to. And it's really important to honor those things outside of society's definition of them. So yeah. when I was saying that fashion is superficial, what I was really saying that this thing that I'm really good at and that I've always been drawn to is not valuable, which is really what I'm good at or my skills aren't valuable. And so there's a big you know, it's, it's a deeper thing there. You have to really honor who you are. Yeah. And, and how was that for you in terms of business wise? Like, how does it translate from being like, I've got an eye, I love design, 
I've got style to I can build a brand and that resonates with people that people are drawn to. Did you have to learn business skills? I don't even know it was like business stuff. <laughs> like how like how did you transition and pivot into it? Oof, it was really challenging. It was kind of like it's funny. I just watched Star Wars for the first time and I'm obsessed. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the Star Wars I'm, series. I watched it recently as well. And I was oh, just really? like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Recently <laughs> got into it. And I was like, this is why people are like obsessed with this thing. Totally. So I kind of feel like Luke Skywalker, where he um, never set out to be a Jedi, but then he went through all this stuff. And then at the end, you know, he realizes he's a Jedi. And it's sort of like that with me and becoming a business person. I never really set out to be a business person. I just wanted to make things. And um, and somehow through the process of making things, that by default, I've become one. And sort of begrudgingly, because I don't really like the business side of things, um, or I didn't think I did. But now it's actually really cool because what I've realized is how much power I have in in the process of creating a business because I don't have to fit into the mold of what businesses are. So it's like I have this work environment and I have these employees and I can literally create a culture and a world that could hopefully spread out in other ways. Like, you know, just the way that our culture is structured inside our office is like, you know, we don't do things like we don't gossip or we don't you know, talk shit. And that's a big deal because we, we realize that that's the number one destroyer of unity. And when you're working in a group environment, unity is the most important ingredient. Solidarity, yeah. Yeah. And so it's so cool because I've really found ways of taking all the things that I believe in and all these principles like equality and justice. And then I've figured out how to make them sort of translate into rules of engagement within a in a, within a cultural atmosphere. And so it's kind of cool experimenting with that and seeing like, will this make people work better together? Or will this help us to create a better product? Or um, so that part of it has become fun. I remember at Seoul at the Jordan panel, you said something that, that really stuck with me, which is that you never, when you were trying to build your business, you never found a manual or anything that showed you sort of how to use your intuition. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really played a big role in how you developed your business and your brand is using your intuition to sort of feel things out and go go with that. Mm-hmm. How, how does that work? Like, so is it just having faith and trusting the process or is it genuinely just meditating on things and thinking about them deeply enough to, for your intuition to kick in? Yeah, it's a it's a really abstract process and it's so personal for each person. So it's kind of hard to explain it. But um, I did like when I was starting my business, I didn't find a single business plan that was written by a woman. And women and men operate very differently in every way. You know, men are a lot more linear. They plan things out. Um, women aren't, you know, we, we kind of move a little bit more intuitively. And so what I realized is that the standard of business had really been developed by men and you can't really force a woman to fit into a system that she wasn't a part of building. You know, there isn't enough, there isn't room for us there. And so to some extent, I kind of had to do my own 
And then again, see the value in that and recognize that just because it hasn't been recognized societally yet doesn't mean that something like intuition isn't valuable just because we can't count and measure it, which is the standard of business now. It's like everything has to be counted and measured and planned. And, and um, of course, it's a beautiful balance of the two. You really need men and women to do it together. But up to now, we just haven't been factored in in that way. So when I first started, I had learned how to meditate and I started using meditation as a tool to sort of assist me. And I was really sort of understanding the concept of God and a creator for myself for the first time in my life. Whereas before, I feel like I'd always believed in my mom's idea of God. And I, so I started questioning, like, what is God to me? Who is God to me? What does it look like? What does my relationship look like? And so I was meditating and I started um, in my prayers and meditations. I, I kind of made God my business partner where I was like, I'm doing everything that I can do possibly. Like, this is what I think I'm good at. This is what I think my design is. And I'm showing up every single day and I'm doing every single possible thing that I could do. And I'm like, I need you to do everything else. Like, yeah. you know, basically like if there's, if I'm going left and I need to go right, I need to be shown. And if I'm, you know, if I want this thing and I think it's blue, but it really should be red, then I need to do that. And I started realizing the value of sort of like filtering my will through something bigger than me, because there's so often where we think something is really good for us or we think we want this thing. It's like, I think the most obvious example is like when you like a guy, you know, it's like you like you have the biggest crush on this dude and you're just like, I'm going to get him. And then somehow you start dating him and you're like, this was the worst idea ever. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like yeah. you really think, though, you're like, this is going to be great. And then it's not. But so I think there's so often where I like I really think that a way would be good. But um, so I just go through this process of like filtering it through my practice, my spiritual practice. When I first started my business, I really wanted to consult people that had, you know, could help me, but I didn't really have access to anybody. So I sort of designed a meditation where I would walk into, I had designed my own office building and I would imagine myself walking into my office building and my secretary would be at the lobby and I'd tell her I'm going up to the boardroom. She'd open the elevator. She'd let me up and get in the elevator. I'd go all the way up to the boardroom. And when I walked up, I had my own boardroom and every single person that I wanted to ask questions or consult would be sitting in a round table at my boardroom. So I'd be like, I want to talk to like Bill Gates and it could be people that were alive or dead. Yeah. And, um, and I'd leave the door open in the boardroom in case there was somebody that wanted to come in that I hadn't thought of. And then I would present whatever that question was like, what do I do about this thing? I would present it to the boardroom and then I'd wait for answers and I'd always get answers. And it sounds crazy. I mean, it doesn't sound crazy because I feel like, you know, for me personally, as much the deeper I go into my spirituality, the more I'm like, everyone we admire, everyone that existed before us and after us, it's like there's this well of knowledge and wisdom that it's just 
all of it is sort of in there. And if you go deep enough in, in meditation or in, you know, throughout Ukraine, throughout, you can really access that stuff very easily. Yes. Because it just exists in the ether, you know, and yes. it's, it's there for us to, to enjoy. Yes. And it's interesting because through, through the series, and I've been speaking to people in different fields, and it just comes back to surrendering, you know, it comes back to surrendering to the flow and to the will and doing as much as you can to sort of work on your craft and position yourself and then leaving the rest to God or to the, to a higher power. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's funny because everyone's saying it in different ways and it's still resonating as, you know, divine creativity. Mm -hmm. how, yeah. how do you feel like your faith um, influenced your success? I think it just sort of is like a a reset for me every day. You know, it's like how I start my day and how I end my day. And it allows me to just reset myself, you know? So it's interesting because at different points of time, in different points in time, it's become different things. Like since the quarantine has happened, it's really become my only true home. You know, when I'm able to go inside and really sit in my core and be there and explore, you know, myself. It's my only real sense of home. And that's so big. You know, it's like everybody needs sort of a sanctuary or a home to go to, especially if, if you don't feel like you have one otherwise. Or And so that's been really big for me. But it's also just been my, it's where I get my information from. It's just where I check in every day. It's where I surrender the things that I don't think are mine. It's become the kind of thing where I feel like God is sort of like my best friend. It's like, if you think of it that way, it's like your favorite girlfriend that you just call and you check in and you tell her everything and you ask for advice. It's kind of become that kind of relationship where I just like empty everything out. And, um, and then I just wait. And then I trust that I'm going to be taken care of And I don't rely on anything outside of that. It's just so different from that patriarchal God that we grew up, you yeah. know, seeing. And it's just like you feel like you're gonna get you're gonna get yelled at or you're gonna get smited if you do anything. And then really, like having that moment where you're like, that's actually, you know, that's the homie. You know, yeah. that's that's the homie. So you are of the Baha'i faith. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? When did you first? You know, was it something you grew up with or did you sort of, were you introduced to it? How, how did you sort of get into that? Yeah, sure. So I was born in a Baha'i family, but the Baha'i faith is a really cool religion. It's very, it's a very lay religion, meaning that it's really between you and God. And, um, and the Baha'i faith also is interesting because we believe in, Um, something called progressive revelation, which is the idea that at different points in time, um, God has sent a new prophet or a new manifestation to bring whatever the message is for that day and age. So we believe in Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Zarashtra, Krishna, Abraham. We believe that all of them um, are very valuable prophets and teachers that brought the message for that day and age. But we believe that We also believe in Baha'u'llah, who is our prophet, who we believe is who brought the most recent message for this day and age. 
Um, and he came about 200 years ago in the 1840s. And so, you know, his teachings consist of things like the equality of men and women or the harmony between science and religion and the oneness of God that if you want to call him Jah, Allah, Jehovah, there's only one one divine being regardless of how you refer to it. Um, the oneness of religion that we're all actually one, like there's no competition between these religions, but it's interesting because a lot of people worship the lamp instead of the light. You know, it's like Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but it's his teachings. And and Jesus foretold of, a, you know, it, it's like each manifestation or prophet of God is always foretold of the coming of the next. Um, but, and um, so, yeah, so those are just some of the teachings, the oneness of mankind. Um Around the age of 10, I met um, this man named Oscar DeGruy, who kind of became like my dad. And I joined something called the Baha'i Youth Workshop, which was a dance, like a dance arts workshop. And that's when I really resonated and like got into the Baha'i teachings and started studying religion in depth. And um, when I sort of decided to become a Baha'i. It was a choice. It wasn't you grew up with it, so you sort of had to. It was. Do you feel like there was a rite of passage for you in that sense? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because my family was pretty chill about it. You know, it's it's like um, some people are more cultural about religion. You know, like they they it's more like a culture for them versus like a practice. And I think for my mom, it was. It's something that, of course, she believes in it, but it was more of a cultural thing, whereas I think that I was, like, really interested in a, some, something like a practice. And how does that inf influence your designs? Like, I remember we, br we spoke briefly at Seoul, and I remember, you know, we were talking about sort of, like, using the light to sort of guide you. And, and I remember we discussed how sort of someone like McQueen you know, used the darkness. He manifested the darkness in his work and it, and it was so genius and it was, you know, and, and sad to say it's, it eventually sort of consumed him and, and, and destroyed his mental health. And we were saying sort of women of color, we need the light, you know, we can't even, we can't even go near it. How do you feel like the faith that you have comes out in your work in the product? Well, it's interesting because a lot of people separate themselves and who they are in their work and who they are in their life. And for me, it's a really difficult process. I can't really leave part of myself at home when I'm designing. And so if I'm working to become a better person and if I'm working to access more of the light, um, it's kind of hard for that not to filter into my work. So. There's actually this Baha'i prayer that I love, and it says, um, make me a hollow reed. Oh, God, it's a song, so it's so hard for me to say it without singing it, and I'm definitely not going to sing it for you. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll, I'll drop a beat for you real quick. <laughs> um, it says, make me a hollow reed through which the pith of self has, has been blown so that I may become a channel for... But it's basically saying like hollow me out 
so that I can become a clear channel for your light to come through, essentially. And so I think that that's what I, that, I mean, through my prayer, that's what I try to do every day is like become, hollow myself out as much as possible so that I can allow something else to come through me because I'm just the vehicle here. And so often I question like, why am I, why was I born in this era? Like, why now? And I think that for me, um, my fashion, sense of fashion or design has always been about an aesthetic, but more than that, it's been about sort of a new narrative or a new voice. And that's kind of the place I found myself in where, you know, when everybody else was trending, like, you can't sit with us. I was like, no, you, you can. Or, you know, when I would see Things like when Cross Colors came out with that T-shirt and it said, love sees no color. I was so enraged. And I was mm-hmm. like, That's but the why? all lives matter of the, of yeah. the fashion world. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. but why? Love should see all color. You know, like, I, you know, I wake up this color every day. I want you to see it. Like, why act like we don't, you know? And so that's been my real sort of, that's where I see opportunity. I'm like, how do we rewrite this narrative, but then also do it in a really cool way? Because growing up, anytime you saw shirts that were like about peace or unity, they were always really corny. And it was sort of like the generic t-shirt you saw. It's sort of like health food products. Have you ever gone to like a health food store? All the labels are so horrible. I'm like, who's doing this artwork? It's like a picture of some old guy with like some really bad font. And I was like, this is, this is incredible peanut butter, but with the worst packaging ever. It almost makes me not want to buy it. So I, I just, I'm, my whole thing is how do we repackage this idea and how do we reintroduce things like um you know I was talking to my friend about it and she was like isn't it interesting how nobody talks about world peace anymore you know like when I was younger in the late 80s 90s world peace was still a thing like people were joining the peace choir like it was a huge thing and now nobody talks about it at all it's like it's, it's, like a, it's, it's hopeless. It's like a hopeless cause. No one yeah. even engages with it anymore. But why? And yeah. why are we? Why are we just sort of sitting back and allowing it to happen? Like, why aren't we fighting for it? Or why don't we believe in it? Why aren't we banding together and figuring out how we can, you know, bring that back? And so, I, you know, I just feel like I have maybe the smallest opportunity to be able to do that in my little lane. Yeah, I feel like your 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 work is very affirmative. A lot of affirmative messages. And how do you feel like that replication of affirmative messaging, slogans, like what we were talking about on the t-shirts, do you feel like that has an impact? Because, I mean, I do, but I almost sometimes feel a bit like like silly because it, it just yeah. there's so much there's so much bad in the world and it's like will a t-shirt help how do you feel about it who knows I mean I don't really know if a t-shirt will help I do think that even if it helps one person I've done my job kind of whoever thing. puts it on and just feels good that day you, you know, know if it starts a conversation if it creates some kind of dialogue if it is confirmation for one person or if it wakes one person up to something that whatever I just feel like then it's worth it you know but 
who knows? I mean, I do think that there is power in it in some in some degree. I just don't know how to quantify it. And I, I do think that positive messages, they resonate and it's important. I just, it's, it's, we're up against so much. Sometimes it feels quite disheartening, you know? So within the industry, I mean, you, you're a really spiritual person. And, and I think a part of that is like detaching, right? From worldly things and going inwards and, and being happy with yourself. How do you stop yourself from sort of engaging in the competition, engaging in the, in the, in the BS of the fashion world that is like, that's my practice. That's all. That's the beauty of your spiritual practice. That's where I reset because that's where, that's what's real. When you go inside yourself, you know, what's real, you know, all that other stuff is fake. Like competition is such a myth, you know, it's like, how can you compare two people with one another? It's impossible. You know, it's like every single person is so uniquely different. It's like a fingerprint, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't compare a spiritual practice is something that's, it's like a living relationship. It's not like a stagnant thing. So it's like every single day you, I, I bring new questions to my core. I ask about new things. And so, and it's always sort of shown to you in one way or another. So things like, I mean, and, and not to say that I don't get caught up in things, but I think that my goal it's interesting because this has actually been my my self work as of recently is like uh, is like figuring out that I have a joy and a happiness inside of me. It shouldn't be dependent on anything outside of me, right? So it's like, how do you access all the joy and happiness that you have in you so that you're not so easily taken off your path when something outside of you tries to take that away because I'm a very sensitive person and I think that there's a lot of people right now in the world that are sensitive. My, my friend actually calls them the sensitives. And, um, you know, if somebody hurt my feelings or talked to me the wrong way or would make a comment about me or whatever, sometimes it would take me out for hours a day. How do I collect more of myself so that I'm able to be me regardless of what happens outside of me? Because that's true freedom, right? It's like, and all of us, it's our greatest desire is just to be free. Like, how can we be, how can we be completely free to be our whole selves, to not worry about um, anybody else's perception of us or um, anything? And, and if you're really trying to be somebody that's trying to change the world or move the needle in any way, how are you going to do that if somebody could so easily just knock you off your course by making a hateful comment to you or making a judgment that's untrue? You know, it can't. And so in order to do that, I realized that I just needed more of myself, you know? And so I've just been trying to collect more of my sense of self, like having a real knowing of like who I am, why I'm here, and knowing that outside of anything else and really the hardest part which is relying completely on the creator to take care of my needs and to show me that and so that's been a really interesting process and I'm you know somewhere in the middle of it 
But so far, it's been amazing because I feel like I have been collecting more of myself. And I can't wait to come on the other end of it or somewhat come out on the other end of it so that that could be my that could be the thing that I now share with my friends or that I can tell you like, hey, it's possible because I did it. Um, and that's often how I find myself where I feel like I'm sort of like the mad scientist that's doing all these experiments. And then I know if I can do it, it's possible and anybody can do it. And that's the beautiful thing. It's like sometimes that's all we need is just one example. There's this quote that I read um, recently, Beethoven, which is like just our goal is to get as close to divinity as possible and to you know, reflect those rays onto the rest of mankind. Mm. And I think about that so much because I'm like, in everything we do, you know, whether it be professional or personal, it's just for us to get to the heart of things and to yeah. be able to reflect that outwards into into the into our communities, into the rest of, of the world. And I think design is such an amazing way to do that because it's so tangible, you know? I think the problem is we don't know what we are yet. You know, we keep judging ourselves as... Um, what we do, not what we are, you know? It's like, if if you think about it, it's so incredible. Like we are, we're just each really incredible beings. So it's like, if it, it's not about who you are to who or who you know or what you do, it's about the thing that you are. And it's, again, it's an abstract thing, but that's our whole entire work here. You know, it's like we're, evolving constantly in flux as well like yeah constantly and we're constantly sort of um figuring out what it looks like to be a concrete person that lives in a concrete world which is like all physical concrete things but yet we come from an abstract source like we come from an unknowable essence um for those of us who believe in something bigger than us it's unknowable you know so it's like a constant it's a constant journey between concrete to abstract. And it's like, how do we access that abstract when we're so concrete, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I read a lot of, of I mean, I would say that I, I follow the Sufi way, but I just because it's so weird. It's one of those things that you're like, I'm really into this, but can I call myself a Sufi? But I would say I'm a Sufi. And I read a lot about uh, Sufi philosophers and they have this thing about like the world of meanings, like the world of meanings is behind all the concrete, physical, three-dimensional stuff. And so what I'm realizing now in, in, in my sort of personal growth is that it's whatever I ascribe meaning to becomes that thing. And so it's like just, you know, stripping meaning away from things that are negative and sort of ascribing them to things that are positive. And I end up just feeling so much better. Like I make such big deals out of things. And then suddenly I'm like, wait, I'm giving it meaning. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting meaning onto something that is essentially, it's, it's only meaningless because I'm perceiving it and I'm deciding it is, you know. Yeah, that's so deep. You know, that's really amazing. When you first moved in to your flagship store in Fairfax, it was the only female owned store on the block. And it's crazy considering how streetwear sort of came into the mainstream with figures like Misa Hilton propelling it into music videos and all the women involved in, in making it cool, you know. Why do you feel like that sector, the streetwear sector, is so male-dominated? And do you feel like it could start to balance out a little bit? 
I mean, it's my, my hope and desire that it does because there's such a big hole in the market for it, you know? It's like there's so many women that really just want to wear comfortable clothes. And so it, it's interesting because we've always, we've always, it's kind of the same age old thing with sneakers. It's like we've always had to buy the kids sizes. We've always had to buy the men's stuff. It's like you see all these girls on Instagram and everywhere that have become like talented at like altering things and changing it for them. And it's like, why isn't somebody just making it catering them. to yeah. them? Yeah. It's like, why, if I don't know how to sew, I don't want to have to, you know. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, I really hope that there is more women that sort of rise up into that position but it, I see why it's hard to in some ways. Do you feel like your journey has made it seem more possible for women? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, it's kind of difficult for me to say because I'm still figuring it out as well. It's not like I haven't by any stretch of the imagination made it. I think that I've sort of potentially just kind of opened a door of like, this is one way to do it, but I don't think it's the way. And so I've just kind of been waiting for other women to really step up and do it, do it in their own way as well, because I think that there's so much more potential. But I do think that I'm in a, I do think that I'm in a special position just because of the era that I grew up in and um, the things that I've been exposed to culturally are the things that I've consumed culturally from the time I was a child. And just being able to reference those kinds of things um, within the evolution of streetwear, so to speak. And I feel like a lot of the newer, younger people that are coming in don't necessarily have that orientation. So I think it's more so, it's different, you know, whereas... You know, I was alive when a lot of the things were happening. I, you know, I knew a lot of those people. And so it's kind of cool for me to take all those pieces and sort of bridge them with what's happening currently. And so you were a creative director at Reebok and you had a line with them. How, I mean, it feels like you're quite sort of an independent thinker and you have your very, you have a very distinct taste and, and point of view. What was it like for you to work within a big company and did you feel like there was restrictions creatively or do you feel like you compromised your independence in any way once you sort of were on board with them? No, it was actually really refreshing because I had, you know, I started my business from nothing. I literally built it from the ground up. And so at every step in the way, every step of the way of growing a business, you're constantly wondering, like, am I doing this right? You know, you just sort of imposter don't know. Syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is so real. So real. And so when I went to do that, you know, all of a sudden I had a whole team. And there was like one woman that was literally, the, her only job was to forecast color trends. She studied color theory and knew about color trends. So she would bring me Pantone books. And so it was very, very cool because I was put in a situation where all of a sudden I had all these resources at my disposal where I was like, wait, you guys, I can tell you something and then you can turn around a sample within days because you have a sample house downstairs. What? Oh, wow. Supportive. And so, yeah, it was a really incredible experience because 
first of all, it was really confirming for me because of, I was like, again, that moment of like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing. And I didn't even know that this is how the real people who do it, this is how they do it too. They just have a lot more resources and access to things. But I kind of had a sense of it, which was really cool. And it made me feel more confident in my role and my position. But yeah, it was really, it was really cool to have access to those kinds of things. And even though there are some, there are some restrictions, there are always restrictions, you know, even in my own, when I'm making my own stuff, there's restrictions because sometimes I think of something that a factory doesn't know how to make or they've never made before. And oftentimes, even though I know they can, they're unwilling to because they don't want to put the time and effort into figuring it out because it might not be valuable enough for their time or and so I have to constantly restrict myself even in my own business because I I haven't yet found the people that are willing to work with me on that level because my numbers aren't high enough or because I'm not giving them big enough orders yet yeah so working with Reebok was a really incredible experience because this was my first time where people just catered to me and they're like what do you want do you want us to source this for you do you want these swatches and and so I I felt really free and excited about that did that come to like a natural end or was there something that sort of made you feel like okay it's enough now um well so I I was with them for five years which was a long time and the first three years I just did collaborations with them so I did two collections a year on average. And then after that, I, I was like, okay, well, I think my role is done here. I was just, I was done. And then they asked me to sort of take on like a, um, a creative director position, but they, they called it something else. They actually didn't call it, I think it was like design director or something. And so I was like, okay, I'll take this position if you let me do this project that I want to do. Cause I had this idea where I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to work with different groups of indigenous women who um, had a particular craft that they had mastered. So like in Guatemala, they they do this incredible embroidery and weaving. And then the Native Americans do like incredible beading work. And, and so they agreed to do it. So I stayed on for two years and I sort of did their design direction for them. But it's challenging in a corporation because I realized that I I walked in sort of naively and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to be able to like really make a change here. But I wasn't in high enough of a position to actually make a change. So they, you know, obviously they have designers and they don't want to discredit their designers. So even though I would present to them what I thought would be good, they sort of took it and filtered it through their own lens um, versus do it the way that I wanted to do it. So at the end of two years, it kind of came at a natural end. And how did the Jordan deal come about? So the Jordan deal came about, um, there's this guy, Frank Cooker, and he actually used to work at Wish. And then he had moved to Atlanta. I mean, he had moved to Jordan Brandon, who was working with them. And I had met him and was familiar with him because Wish carried the Reeboks that I would do. And, you know, he would always sort of egg me on and really liked what I was doing. And when he went to Jordan, I ran into him somewhere and he was like, he was like, sis, whenever you're ready to leave Reebok, like we're waiting for you. And I was like, 
I was like, really? I was like, are you serious? Because I've already left. And I, I technically, I think I had like a year on my non-compete still. But I was like, I'm about to be free. So if you guys are serious, let me know. Work. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of, um, when the time was right, he sort of like forayed me in and introduced me to the team. And they brought me out there. And we, I think we met a number of times before we actually, um, they actually plugged me into doing a collaboration. And are there more on the, are there more on the cards? I don't know yet. We don't know. I think that, um, I mean, I hope so. We've been talking about it, but there's nothing confirmed. I think people want people want another one. So yeah. I'm sure that the pressure will be put on. <laughs> and so I just want to get into sort of like the nitty gritty of your design process. Yeah. Just how does it start? Talk me through it. Um, you know, it's always different. I'm, I feel really fortunate now because for the first time I sort of have a team that I really trust, whereas before it was a very independent process where I did it on my own. And now I have three girls that work for me. And, and funny enough, they, none of them work in design, but they all have really good taste and they're all really honest. And we have a really, um, trusting relationship where, you know, I'm very private about my inspiration and my design because I don't like sharing things prematurely. And, and if somebody doesn't get it, um, it might affect me and yeah. I might question the sensitives. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, if I have an idea, I really like to see it through before I present it to anybody because I don't want it to be tampered by anybody's opinion or anything. But with them, I feel really safe. And so that's been really cool because what we've been doing is, well, I'll just share with you our most recent um, processes where we talk, we sort of talk about what's happening and what we're each inspired by or what trends we're seeing. And it could be anything from an emblem, um, like I'm really into butterflies right now. And what do butterflies mean? And butterflies are mean trans transformation. And um, the whole concept of the butterfly effect, you know, it's so big for me right now because I'm like, wow, the the idea that little things can really translate into in big ways. And I feel like that messaging is so important for us right now because each of us are so significant. It's like you were asking earlier, like, do you really think a T-shirt can make a difference? It's such a little thing. But if you think about the butterfly effect, it's like scientifically proven that from a butterfly flapping its wings, it can literally stop a tornado yeah. from happening. Yeah. You know, all so connected. it's like, yeah. exactly. So that to me is really exciting. So it's like, okay, so we come up with these themes and we're each talking about our individual work and what we're doing and um, just this idea of self-actualization and manifesting, you know, that's such a big word right now. And so what is our view on it? So we sort of piece together all these inspirations that we all have, and then we translate them into things that we feel are missing in the market. So, for example, there will be like an iconic Ralph Lauren windbreaker that I wished I had in 1992. And if I had got it in 1992, I would have just been like the little kid with like a huge baggy windbreaker. So how do we rework that windbreaker so that it still maintains its integrity, but it's catered specifically for a woman? Style-wise, it's really about 
just sort of reinventing iconic things to fit better, to have better materials, to have like more of an element that's more thoughtful for us. And then we just kind of combine all those things together. So it's kind of like a a project or I'll have an idea where I'm like, I really want a pantsuit right now. And I don't know if that fits into our collection, but then we'll find a way to rework it so that it does. It sounds like such a dream because I it was just like, you know what, I'm really feeling like this color right now. I'm feeling a denim suit and then you just get yeah. to make it and sell yeah. it and share it. It's great. It's great. <laughs> I know. And I, I notice you use you do use a lot of iconography. I mean the cherry, you know, the the, the globe and, and also like the Nefertiti and how do you feel like these symbols are important in terms of again manifesting empowerment amongst people i don't know i mean i i've always been drawn towards emblems you know of something if i it's like that thing again what you were saying is like ascribing meaning to something you know it's like researching where that meaning came from why this thing and then when you get deeper and deeper into it you 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 realize like oh that's why a butterfly has been a symbol of this this whole time and for me Nature is such a beautiful mirror for us. You know, it's like inherently it's perfect as long as we don't. yeah. Yeah, we if we don't tamper with it, it's absolutely perfect. Thank you for listening to Channel 33 with Yusra Al-Baqir and our guest today, Melody Ihsani. Be sure to tune into an all new episode in two weeks time. For more on our series, go to soul.digital. You can also follow us on Instagram by going to at soldxb and at yusra al-baqir. You're listening to Soul Radio.